Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you very much, and welcome to another edition of The Coaching Show. You'll notice, Alex, that I'm not in my usual digs today. I noticed, and I noticed you have new artwork behind you, and there's like some letters on the, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. That's right. This is an artist that I uh, I really uh, enjoy, although not everybody does, and her message is, <laughs> Is she calls herself a love advocate, and um, I started collecting her art when it was uh, at the nearby coffee house, and now it's too expensive for me to collect, so I can't get any more. But I appreciate what I got. It's uh, how are you? I'm yeah. good. It's funny you say that. So the background of my phone, and I know he doesn't call himself this, and I'm trying to look up his name. Is I think it's Ruben Rojas. Right, right, he, right. It, you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? He paints these big murals of love written in cursive. Right. And does other things like that. I have that's the background of my phone. I think it's um, it's similar to what this. I mean, they're similar in their in their um, obviously their their message and their theme, but it's kind of cool because they do it in very different ways. And thanks for thanks for reminding me. I should shout out uh, the woman's name is Autumn, and you can find out more by going to artbyautumn.com. So there now we've shouted out to both of our. And, and look, I you know I have some new pictures behind me. I, you know, I threw some stuff up on my walls. You know, trying to. Try to try to match yeah. you. Did you did you make the big move? Move in with your sweetheart? I did not. I'm I'm actually living. Uh, 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 I'm not. I can't say bi coastal because, I'm, <laughs> but I'm. Uh, I have a little of apartment still by the beach, which is pretty nice. And then I live so half the week by the beach and half the week out in the country, on the ranch, which is, you know, for for us for a with an ego like mine, it's nice to be play Peter Pan a little bit. And, and not have to fully grow up all at one time. Let's please, before before we get into any this any deeper, let's please welcome our, our guests. I do want to shout out, I think there's a couple more conferences happening this year. I believe the Midwest Regional uh, ICF Conference is still occurring. You can find out more by uh, Googling the Midwest Regional ICF Conference. But a lot of the other conferences are either canceled or behind us now. Uh, anything you've got upcoming? or Nothing, nothing conference-wise, I've been, you know, I've actually been doing something that I think a lot of people have been doing this year, which is creating, at least the people I'm around and a lot of my clients, creating for, like, what's next, like, in with some of this downtime. So I'm, I'm working with one of our colleagues on a new program that you know about. I don't know if we want to announce it or share anything here, but a new... He's like, get loud. Christopher's like telling me to get louder. Um, we're actually working on a program called Get Loud, which is a program about helping people speak and be heard and amplify their message and voice in the world. So that's pretty exciting. And that'll be something that people will be able to do in the future. And so I'm doing a lot of things like that. I really, I love coaching one-on-one -on -one and in groups, but I really see the value and the power of creating things that people can either do on their own or things that we can do and like replicate. Like you could, you could take a course and someone and, and your friend could take a course and you could do it together. For me, there's a lot of value in being able to get that out there. Cause there's not everyone that's going to go through a coach training program or a transformational course. So how do we, to me, it's like, how do we touch people in all different ways? Um, 
it sounds weird to say touch people in all different ways. I yeah, mean that, that very. I mean that in the most appropriate ways. Um, I feel like I need to call your probation <laughs> officer. Um, okay, uh, we can. You can find out more about Alex and his life and work and and uh, <laughs> other things by going to thedreammason.com. Also, check out his podcast. He has podcasts multiple, but one of them is the Dream Mason podcast. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are available. You are a PCC coach. Is that correct, sir? I am. Well, I, we're getting into a topic today that I'm very, very interested in and almost completely ignorant about, which is we're delighted to have, check this out, a couple who are working together, right, right there you've blown my mind, who are certified trauma recovery coaches. They own uh, Parish Coaching, practice focused upon providing coaching services to trauma survivors around the globe. We're delighted to welcome to our microphones for the first time, and perhaps for some of their first time, Bobby and Sarah Parrish. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. You know, and Alex, I was, listen, I was listening to you talk, and sometimes I call Sarah and I bicontinental. Very because nice. Because Partly, yeah, she, look, around, look around outside, Bobby. Bobby, where are you? That's the voice of Bobby. Where are you? I'm in Dallas, Texas. Is that where you live? Because I heard tales of Portland at some point. Portland is my hometown. Oh, you're from Portland. You must be devastated by what's happening there. And then um, currently in Dallas, a little bit of a scary place to be these days. And Sarah, where are you? Yeah, hi everybody. It's just an absolute pleasure to be here today. So yeah, thank you, Christopher and Alex. And I'm actually all the way over in the lovely small island of England. So yes long 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 away and a long way away from my amazing wife and partner so yes now, okay so we've got to talk about this before we get anywhere else what what are we doing so far away from each other did you finally get on each other's last nerve or <laughs> no the the pandemic did that to us um we have been living apart for actually since we got together 5 years ago um, and both of us have younger children, and neither one of us wanted to uproot our children away from um, their families, their schools. So we have been waiting for um, my son to get to be of age and on his own. And then I was going to immigrate over to the UK um, the end of this year. So, um, but the pandemic has thrown a, a monkey wrench into that one. And so now, um, finally, we were apart actually for four months. So I finally got to fly over about four weeks ago um, and spend some time with Sarah. So we're just kind of in a holding pattern. Absolutely. It really tests your patience skills to the core. <laughs> you know, you really have to be very, very patient. You know, so yeah, it's um, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's worth every single second. You know, this time. this. I mean, I, I admire uh, like how both of you are doing this, and I'm kind of thinking this is like Christopher's dream. I'm kind of thinking Christopher's like, can I send? Is there a program like he can send his wife over? <laughs> you know, I, I hopefully she's not hearing this. I'm making this <laughs> up. But. Super, super <laughs> mean. Now let's talk about your children, though, Bobby. So my sense is that your youngest is uh, about. What, yes, my son will be 19 in November. Oh, 
November baby, nice. And yeah. is how many? Do you have just the one, or have you got? I I have the one together. Sarah and I have three. So so she has um, two daughters. Yeah, so I have two daughters, and my oldest is well, she's she'll be twenty soon, and then my youngest is sixteen. So. Oh. I need to, I, off, we'll get off of the podcast and I need all the parenting. My son turned 11 today, this morning. We've, wow. so yeah, I need all the 16 and 10 and 16 age year, you know. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Now, uh, Alex, you may have as many questions as I do. I'm hearing more and more about trauma and a lot of it through, um, Respa's book about uh, my grandmother's hands, where they're talking about racialized trauma. But what we're talking about is very different than that. And can you help me understand the, the definitions or some sort of clarity yeah. about what we're talking about? You bet. Um, the definition that we work with has three components. <clears throat> so the first one is that the individual experiences something that is, is intensely frightening or is a moral injury. Um, and then we'll come back to moral injury here in a second. I'll give you other, the other two components. The second is the individual feels powerless to prevent the trauma or um, have any control over the trauma. And then the last part is perhaps one of the most significant ones that we deal with as trauma recovery coaches, which is that that trauma changes the way I see and interact with myself, people around me, and the world as a whole. So trauma essentially disconnects us. Trauma is disconnecting. It severs that relationship, interrupts that relationship between ourselves and ourselves and ourselves in other people. Um, so I just want to go back for a minute and define moral injury because that is what we are seeing right now in terms of the racial injustice. Um, and when you bring in that definition of moral injury, it opens up a whole new field of understanding and treating trauma. Um, because people who, are, who have experienced racism um, may not have gone through something that they could classify as intensely frightening, but they've gone through trauma nonetheless. So we get this definition from the Shay, S-H-A-Y, Moral Injury Center, and this is their definition of moral injury. So it's moral injury is the suffering people experience when we are in high stakes situations. Things go wrong, and harm results that challenges our deepest moral codes and ability to trust in others or ourselves. The harm may be something we did, something we witnessed, or something that was done to us. It results in moral emotions such as shame, guilt, self-condemnation, outrage, and sorrow. So that is how we define trauma. Um, and if you look at it from that lens, there's a lot out there in the world that's trauma. And there's a lot of people suffering from trauma. So beautiful and so clear. 
Alex, I want to uh, give you a chance to get in here. I know sometimes I'm a little fast on the draw here, but I also want to go back and say that the person whose name I spoke half of earlier, the book, My Grandmother's Hands, is written by Resma Manaka, and I didn't want to miss say that. Um, Alex? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that I really want to start off with, and I know Christopher is curious about this too, and it comes up a lot for me when I'm working with new clients or meeting clients is like when we talk about the differences between coaching and therapy. Yep. And I've known people that trauma coaches, I've never worked with one. I've never been close enough with one to really understand what they do. Um, and I, I, I sort of believe that every single human being has some version of yep. trauma. I mean, birth is, has to be traumatic in itself. <laughs> um, so there's something that's, that's very natural about being a human and having trauma. And I'm really, I would love to hear how you, how we split like when is therapy the way to go and when is a trauma coach the way to go and and how does a coach listening to this know or a listener who's not a coach and might want to pick from it right absolutely and there's, there's many many stages of the trauma process that you go through you know so who once you know you're in the first stages of of a traumatic experience sort of thing that isn't kind of when the therapist you know comes in and helps you deal with all those raw, painful emotions. But once you've worked through that kind of stage, and now you're going into discovering of who you are, you know, because like Bobby said, trauma can disrupt you, can take away who you are, you know. Um, and this is a part where we love to come in and work with our clients and help them discover what they like doing, who they are. Um, therapists very much work with the past. They bring the clients in, they work the past, they deal with their clients' emotions, where we still focus very much on the present and the future. And put, but maybe just planting those amazing flowers um, for the coaches to build up their confidence and their skill set instead of pulling out all the weeds and all the things that they feel that something's wrong with them, that they're broken and all those kinds of things. We don't want to focus on that. We want us to celebrate all the amazing things that our clients have you know and they, they may not believe it but they have it you know and that's as many coaches we can come along and we can really shine shine those things up for them yeah Bobby, just double um yeah yep yep and i think you know one of the key differences is the focus of the work so you need a therapist and i my training is as a therapist, I'm a marriage and family therapist, but I operate now exclusively as a coach. Um, the therapist has that training to um, get in there, process that trauma, um, deal with those nightmares and uh, the flashbacks and things like that. For us as coaches, we are focused on present day. Um, for example, one of the things that we teach in our coaching program, um, is the core beliefs we learn about ourselves as a result of our trauma, especially if we have childhood trauma. <clears throat> you know, we learn things like, I'm bad, it was my fault, um, I'm powerless, I should be ashamed of myself. And so we sit down with our clients and, you know, as we're talking with them, if we see that core belief, we do want to say, where did you learn that? Whose voice is that in your head that is talking to you right now? So we want to know the birth of a belief. So we want to go back and figure out where it started, because if we don't know where it started, it's really hard to tackle it and get rid of it now. 
Um, but otherwise, we're not back there, you know, with our Wellington boots on, you know, stomping around in the mud, trying to process all of that. Also, we have very, very, very strict protocols set up within our coaching program for if things come up, what do we do? For example, if we have a client who becomes suicidal, if we have a client who's in the middle of an active addiction, um, if we have a client who's engaged in very risky behavior, we always escalate their care up to a therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist, or even their general practitioner, if that's who's available to them. So we put pretty tight boundaries around our work as trauma recovery coaches because you know our initial coach for our initial certification is 23 weeks. I cannot teach a coach how to deal with issues like that in 23 weeks. Um, so we do, we outline what's in your scope of competence, what's not in your scope of competence, and what do you do and what do you not do. Um, it's such important work. So I just want to underline a few things. So what I heard you say is this is, uh, so we need therapy when we've experienced a trauma. And yeah. to your point, trauma is not just if Alex hits me, which by the way, he doesn't. Um, but trauma can be witnessing, being party right. to, or even as you've so beautifully uh, distinguished, uh, moral injury as defined by the moral injuries. So when we run across as coaches or mm -hmm. humans, people who have this experience, one of the things we're also looking for or at is that this incident or event or a series of events has changed the way they see themselves yep. or see themselves in relation to the world or other. Right, exactly. So, um, for example, both both Sarah and I are trauma survivors. Um, both of us experienced childhood um, and adult trauma. So, um, you know, children, babies don't pop into the world thinking either positively or negatively about themselves. Um, it's the parents that teach the child how to develop their self-concept. And if you are raised in a traumatic, dysfunctional, even neglecting situation, that child begins to believe that the reason they're experiencing this is because they're not good. They're not good enough. So they learn things like, you know, how do I deny parts of myself so I can be the child that mom and dad want me to be? And then they grow up to be adults who get become people pleasers, or they become that chameleon who um, changes themselves into whatever they think someone around them might want, so they can get approval, affection, love. Um, so that experience of that trauma, it, it does impact how we see ourselves, um, and it disrupts that relationship with myself. Um, because I have changed the way I think about myself and I see myself as bad, I can't trust myself. Because who wants to trust someone who's bad, right? Um, so I need to get help healing those views of myself and my capacity to have a relationship with myself. And the same way, if I'm experiencing childhood trauma, my attachment 
I don't get, I don't get to attach to a caregiver. Um, I don't get to co-regulate with a caregiver. And attachment and co-regulation, that's how we learn to deal with emotions and relationships. So I grow up to be an adult who doesn't know how to regulate my emotions, who doesn't know to have healthy relationships. Um, and, you know, my relationship with myself is not just broken, but my capacity to have a relationship with the world and people in the world is broken. Um, it's one of the reasons why, as trauma recovery coaches, we really hone in on learning relationships. And the most magical part of what we do is developing a relationship with our clients. Because when we do that, we are able to teach them what does relationship look like and what does healthy relationship look like. Um, I know I'm rambling on here, but I share a story from you know, my recovery. Um, my recovery was pretty hard bounced in and out of psychiatric wards, was homeless for a while, um, disabled. And I kept going into these hospitals where people would say to me, that horrible platitude, if you don't start to love yourself, no one else is ever going to love you. And it was like a punch to the gut because my response was always, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to love myself. Nobody's ever taught me how to love myself. Nobody's ever really loved me. And so it wasn't until I found a therapist that I worked with, I worked with her for five years. She loved me. And in loving me, she taught me how to love myself. And once I could love myself, I could work on my capacity to love others. I could work on my capacity to exist in the world and feel safe and trust myself. Um, so that relationship piece, you know, Alex, when you were talking about what's the difference between therapy and coaching, the reason I left the therapy world is because I could not develop that relationship I wanted to with my clients. Therapy has some boundaries, which is good for therapy. But for me, I knew the most healing element, most healing thing I could bring to the table as a coach is a relationship with my clients. That, that is where they can learn to reverse the damage of the trauma and build that life that they love to live. I, I love that. I mean, for me, it's a total blind spot that you put in that piece about the, like, love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, we do that. Humans, we just do that, right? We... And when you said it, I just thought about the clients I've had and people, you know, I've said that we've done like self-love work, right? Like, it's not like I'm throwing it out there just like empty, but it's like, hey, let's, we need to start working on your self-love or, and there's an assumption that they know how to do that. Or that even if I give them, even if I said, hey, here's a couple practices or ways to do it, that it even makes sense. And I'm yeah. thinking about it like as if if you said to me, hey, you need to go to a gym and work out. And I didn't know what a gym was and I didn't know what weights are. And you're like, well, you'll just go and you'll you'll do push-ups and you'll do sit-ups. But I, you could tell me, but if I don't know what they are right. and I don't know how they're supposed to feel, it's still very confusing. And it just, how we even say to somebody, like love yourself or practice self-love is very leading in the sense that we don't know what tools they have or what they don't have. Right. Uh, so that was really powerful. Thanks for 
for pointing that out. I bet I, I know Christopher, you know, probably needs that for himself too. Um, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. We we very much we very much talk about you know you have to have the talk, but you also have to have the action with it. You know, mm. I can talk to myself. You know, you know, Sarah, you're a good person, but if I don't treat myself like I'm a good person and I don't go out and I self don't self care and things like that, then it's not going to stick. You know, um, just doing that one piece of piece of like talking to myself you know which is so hard sometimes with trauma survivors to even do that piece you know um it's a huge huge learning curve and it's not something that can be done overnight and it's just working on it working on it because if you've had developmental trauma and you've had a long strand of trauma you know it's taken many many years for that person to demolish you to wear you down um, so it's going to take that lot of time to be able to build yourself back up as well, sort of thing. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know how to love themselves. They don't know how to self-care. I still struggle, you know, 30 years old now, I still forget and struggle to how to self-care. My logic thinking goes offline, especially if I'm triggered and things like that. My logic thinking goes offline and I forget to self-care, you know. And sometimes it just needs that some that one person, a coach, goes to you, Sarah, how's your sleeping today? How have you been eating today? I go, oh, actually, no, I haven't. I've forgotten to eat today. I've been so busy, you know, my logic thinking's gone offline. I've just forgotten to self-care and to do the, 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 the most basic needs, um, which some people take for granted and they can just do off, you know, just do. And sometimes we can struggle with those basic needs. So. Yeah. And it makes sense as well, so. That, that makes sense and it reminds me, of a, of a key piece of neuroscience that I want to bring up. Um, and this is a statement from um, a neuroscientist that works with Dr. Dan Siegel. And it's neurons that fire together, wire together. So that's how we learned as children that we were bad or not worthy because our attachment figures, our caregivers told us we were bad. And I could list an endless list of horrible things that I have heard my clients say their parents said to them. So they say they something as, you know, as simple as, um, you are a horrible child. I hate having you. I wish you would just go away. So that's the words. But then they marry that with the action. So maybe that's the slap upside the head. Maybe that's the go to your room. I don't want to see you again ever, ever, ever tonight. Um, or, you know, it's a behavior matching actions. And that wires those neurons together so i have the words and the actions which is exactly what sarah is saying in order to reverse engineer we have to rewire our brain and bring in the words and the actions so yes saying to myself um i'm, I'm worthy of love i'm worthy of love today and then i have to actually treat myself as if i am worthy of love because if all I'm doing is wandering around saying, I'm worthy of love today, I'm worthy of love today, but I do something and I'm in my head going, oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm the stupidest person on the planet. What an idiot am I? You have now, you know, you're not getting those neurons to fire together and wire together because you're sending yourself two different messages. So um, if I say, okay, Bobby, take a breath you're worthy of love today. And then I look at myself and go, okay, I haven't taken a break yet today. 
I'm gonna go out in the front yard, I'm gonna put my feet in the grass, I'm gonna do some grounding work. Um, then I'm creating that neural pathway. My neuron, I'm rewiring my brain. And we do that with our clients, we repetitively over and over again, because that's how the negative stuff got wired in. Repetitive firing of the words and the behaviors matching. And so that's what we do as coaches, is working on helping people to rewire those neural connections. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. And for people who are interested, I want to let them know that you've created the Trauma Recovery uh, Tell me what the name is. Is it the Trauma Recovery Coaching Center? Um, it is um, the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching. Great. Um, and is that where we can get trained? Because you're actually yeah. training coaches in this now. And that yes. is on the World Wide Web at thetraumarecoverycoach.com. Yep. yep. So look for, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say there's, um, you can also look at the International Association's website, which is, and you're ready for this one because this IAOTRC.com. International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching.com. Yeah. Great. So if we like to type, we can type the trauma recovery coach.com. And yep. if we don't enjoy typing, IAO. TRC. Okay. Yay. <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing that I want to point to is I love that there's training for coaches in this, but I feel like we need, we need maybe to make the case a bit because for most of us, at least people who are, you know, gray haired as I am, um, we were trained that coaching and therapy are two very different things. And that if somebody comes to us with trauma, whether, you know, physical or otherwise, that immediately that's a sign they have to be shipped off to the therapist, or sometimes we can work in conjunction with, but we certainly don't take it upon ourselves because most of us don't have the skills. I'd yeah. love for you to speak about both the 
approach and how therapy and coach can sort of work together, if I'm understanding, and then also what what the training provides that that allows us to venture into this previously dangerous world. Yes, into the unknown, right? Star Trek. <laughs> Sweetheart, you want to speak to that one? Um. What was the first question again? Sorry, my my um my thinking had gone offline then, so so I'm so sorry. <laughs> you might need to eat something. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, the first, let's start with how is it that therapists and coaches that you envision therapists and coaches working on this? Because typically we would just ship person off to uh, therapy to get that worked out, or at least decline to work on it because we're not prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we have many coaches who or many clients who do work with a therapist and a coach at the same time, you know, and the client goes to the therapist and they're dealing with, you know, the actual trauma piece. Um, and then the coach is actually then dealing with the day to day living and day to day you know, lives and, you know, and, you know, a is working out with what your sleep is like. Are you eating? You know, talking about you know your self care and your compassion for yourself. You know, having compassion just for yourself is I don't class as as therapy work sort of thing. That's a, a basic human need for anybody to have. You know, um, and to build up those you know those confidence skills and things like that where a coach can come in and and help. So yeah, Bobby, did you want? To you know, we're seeing more and more of that. I got to be honest with you guys. This is a career field that we are still legitimizing. Mm -hmm. um, and Sarah and I started these classes in July 2017. Um, and it can be a hard sell to convince other mental health professionals that we are capable of doing some good work. Um, and we have worked very hard to legitimize this field. Um, I patterned this class after my master's degree. Um, there are four required texts. There is a practicum experience. Um, there is a lab portion of the class where they come and the, we do the lecture portion every week for an hour and a half, but then they have to go into small groups with the supervisor um, and practice those skills. Um, there is an examination a proctored examination they have to pass. There's a portfolio they need to turn in. There's group supervision that they need to attend. So we have worked very hard to, um, you know, make ourselves known as helpful services in mental health and qualified services. Um, so yeah, it, but it's every time, every class, it's getting better. Um, we now have school systems that send a teacher or two to our program so that they can become certified and help on the school level. Um, we have, we're getting students from around the globe. Um, we've had students from Europe, um, Saudi Arabia, Central America, um, Australia, um, South Africa, um, and it is, it's becoming more acceptable. And we are, we're having a lot of um, therapists say, you know, okay, I want you to work with a coach as well. Um, we, I wanna work in tandem um, with a therapist and a coach. Kim, I'd love to hear your, both of your thoughts on 
like what's going on right now, just in the world, like the, you know, I can't speak to like all the countries and everything, but in general, the energy in the world, the tensions in the world, the fear in the world. Um, I know like someone like me prior to, let's say prior to 2020, my well-being, my self-love had been something that I had just like, it was a rock. Like I could almost do it on autopilot. It was such, I had built such a routine that yeah, there were areas that I had to like watch my thinking, what the inner dialogue, but I had like the self-care and the self-love activities just kind of like rolling along and it, it was it was my foundation and I try to do that with my clients and I noticed that when COVID happened and quarantine things were interrupted beyond my control right going to yoga was part of that going to the gym um, maybe the food I ate or how I, I socialized in a loving way um, those things were, were essentially taken from me in a way that no I could recreate them, but they were taken in the way that I practiced them. And I know that that's, for me, that was my rock and that was something that was foundational. And I've noticed in the last, let's say seven months, my sleeping is off. I, I don't yeah. feel as great. So I'm, I'm working on that. When we look at general population who may have not had that work in that foundation, right. how do you see everything that's going on? Just like, is it trauma with what, the yep. general public and how can people that are listening, what can people do, you know, now to, to help themselves? Yeah. You know, it is trauma because it meets those three criteria of the definition. It's intensely frightening. We are powerless to control it. And you just spoke beautifully about how you were powerless in your life, Alex, to be able to continue to do the normal self-care things that you do. And it also changes the way that we look at the world and look at ourselves. There are many people who have never experienced trauma before and the world is a wide and happy and welcoming place, right? But now all of a sudden the world is this scary place where I don't know if going to get my groceries today is gonna kill me. Or I don't know if going to get my groceries today is going to infect me and I'm going to kill my grandmother. Um, that, you know, people are experiencing this upheaval um, that puts them in a place they've never been before. And it's disconcerting and it's disruptive to their environment and it's powerlessness. Um, and I think that right now what we're seeing are people who have trauma in their background who've never dealt with it are now getting that, that trauma of, the, of COVID and the racial inequality is waking it up. And they're like, whoa, guys, now something, something's going on here, big earthquake, and I need to deal with this. Um, or you're having people who've never experienced any trauma experiencing it for the first time and being unaware of what they can do to get help or um, feeling like, yeah, I, I don't know how many people we have come into our programs who tell us, oh, but I didn't experience that much trauma. You know, I didn't lose a family member to COVID. You know, people were just sick. You know, I, yeah, I ran out of toilet paper. I had to go find that someplace. But you have to remember that trauma is in the eye of the beholder. Trauma is in the eye of the beholder. So it's not like if I, Sarah tells me her story and I say, ooh, yeah, no, that doesn't sound really frightening to me. Or, 
you didn't really have, you had a lot of control over that. I don't know what's the matter with you. Buck up and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and off you go. Um, it's trauma. It's Sarah who gets to come to me and say, I feel really lousy about what's going on for my world. I'm worried about my children. Um, and I don't know how we're going to make it through this. And I can say to her, sounds like trauma. And if she says, yes, it is trauma, then we go with it. Because that defining what is trauma is not in my hands as a healthy professional. It's in my client's hands. Um, anything you want to add to that, sweetheart? Um, I don't think so. I think you said it beautifully. But um, yeah, like you said, I'll just back you, back you on to the thing that you said, you know, that trauma is in the eye of the holder sort of thing, you know, and it doesn't have to be big for it to be a traumatic event sort of thing. You know, my friend um, was working and a rat ran in front of her. And oh my gosh, she had such a traumatic event. You think a rat just ran in front of you. That's not traumatic sort of thing, you know, but she is livid scared now of going downstairs to where that happened sort of thing. And she just refuses to do it. She just won't do it because that for her was trauma and traumatic. Um, so yeah. People think trauma has to be devastating. It has to be huge and things like that. And it doesn't have to be. Trauma can be, you know, it can be, I wouldn't say small because it's not small trauma, it's just trauma. And it's- um, It's big to them. It's big to them, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's super important. Recently, somebody told me that they were triggered, re-traumatized by a single word I had said. And I thought to myself, I, I was so eager to speak to the two of you because I thought, really, one word? Um, you know, and this is a person like very effective in the world and very worldly and well traveled and well educated. And I thought, you know, certainly we're tougher than that. And I guess what I'm learning is that we are until we're not, right? Right. And there is a tremendous, you know, Sarah mentioned earlier in the interview, people tend to say to a trauma survivor, what's the matter with you? That happened 20 years ago. Why in the world are you still fussing over this? You know, as trauma survivors, you know, we hear that a lot. But the thing is, there is so much that is done to our body and our brain as a result of trauma. It's that neurons that fire together, wire together, but um, we experience difficulties and damage in our brain. Um, the amygdala, which is the threat response center of your brain, um, for trauma survivors, it enlarges. And we, therefore, you know, I can, someone who doesn't have trauma, me, my trauma, we can be listening to you, both of us listening to your interview, Christopher, but for her, she's going to hear something and her brain is going to go, oh, hey, wait, I think there's a threat. There's a threat. We better do something. Come on, guys, let's get it together. And the other person with their amygdala that's normal size is going to go, okay, great. Awesome. That's cool. Glad you said that. Um, it's not a conscious choice. I'm not listening and saying, oh, wow, okay, Christopher just said something that I've heard before that was hard for me to hear. So hmm, I'm going to think about this. Nah, Christopher's safe. It's okay. I'm not going to respond. Um, our brain does it for us. I, 
I can see it when I'm listening, as I'm listening to all of you, I can see it so clearly in how we help humans respond to things like horror movies or dogs, right? Mm -hmm. A dog running down the street at a person, you take five people, have them walk down the street and a dog runs to them and five different people have different reactions, right? Some are terrified of a dog and and we could change the size of the dogs and, and the people and it wouldn't matter, right? It doesn't. And I think, um, and it, and it's sometimes funny, like if you put me, I hate birds. Don't like them. They're just, they're creepy to me. So if you like, if I'm sitting somewhere and a bird flies up, I'm like, get, I don't want to be near that thing. But yet if you sent a big dog running up to me, I would probably be fine. A dog is typically a lot more scary looking than a, than a bird and can do a lot more damage. And I think that's a great way to look at it. And we can do that with lots of things, right? Some people sit and watch movies and suspense things and there's like nothing. And other people are, I can't be in this room. I need to like get away from this. And I, and I, I love having conversations like this because it opens up these things where you're like, oh, I never thought about. I, I'm curious because I think that people don't, you know, we, we talked about like how uh, everyone has tra- trauma in different ways. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a gap for people that don't realize that they do. Like I never thought, I was somebody who would said who would have said that. Oh, I've, n- I've never had any trauma. Like nothing, nothing bad has ever happened to me. No one got taken away. And when my mom is actually a marriage and family therapist, and we've talked about this, and she's brought up the same things. Like, you know, me and your dad fighting could have been traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, a bill collector calling could have been traumatic. And when I look back, it's like, oh, because I've created a frame of reference that trauma is like rape, molestation, car accident, someone dying. And it could be as simple as you turned around in a grocery store when you were six and your mom wasn't there. Right. And two minutes later, she was, right? She just walked around the corner. Um, What's a great place for people to start as they, is there like a, a book, uh, an online video, a place where people can start if they're going, I've never thought of myself as having trauma. Maybe there is a place I want to look and uncover, you know, do some work to uncover what might be there. Right. Yeah. Um, I think there are definitely some books that you can take a look at. One of the premier um, researchers and treatment individuals in the field is Bessel van der Kolk. B-E-S-S-E-L-V-A-N-D-E-R, Kolk, K-U-L-K. Um, and he has the book um, called, the, is it The Body Remembers or The Body Keeps the Score? No, it's The Body, the body Keeps the Score. Yeah, yeah, I know the book, yeah. 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 Um, but at the same time, um, if you go onto YouTube and do a Google for Trauma Recovery University, you'll find about two years worth of videos that I made um, along with another trauma recovery coach called Athena Moberg. And we talked about everything from what if you're afraid to go to the doctor's office um, to things like sibling abuse, body memories. Um, There's a lot of information out there for that as well. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it is just about, is there someone in your life who you could sit down and have a conversation with? You know, someone who's willing to talk about the hard things and the messy things. And for you to be able to say, you know, I didn't think that this was traumatic for me. But now when I think about it, yeah, I can remember my mom and dad fighting. And um, I'm thinking, you know, I was 
I remember thinking this, I remember feeling this. Um, but that's why we always advocate for coaches becoming trauma-informed, because you are going to have clients who are going to come into your practice and they hit a spot where you see resistance, right? And they tell you, yes, absolutely, I want to work on this. I want to be able to love myself better. But then they don't follow through and they struggle and they struggle. And that's one of those times when you can take a moment to step back and say, what else might be going on here? One of the primary motivators in a trauma survivor's life is fear. Fear, 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 because they don't know how to keep themselves safe or they kind of do, but they're still a little rocky on it. Um, and perhaps they spent their entire childhood steeped in fear of what was gonna happen around them. And so fear can motivate us not to step forward into something that we don't feel safe stepping forward into. Um, so whenever I have a client who's stuck on something, I'll stop and take a step back and say, okay, let's look at why, what's happening here. And I will always ask, is there something that you are afraid of? If, if you accomplish this task, is there something that would come up for you that you are afraid of? Um, it's so important, Bobby, if I may, I'll, I'll interrupt with just a, a short anecdote. I, um, so I grew up in a in a pretty hard scrabble and, and often violent environment, right? But now I'm super fancy and wear ties and things. So uh, it's so I've in a sense sort of forgotten or at least pushed away a lot of my early childhood stuff, right? Or growing up stuff. And uh, recently I was looking at to Alex's point a couple of fancy places at the beach, right? Because I thought, okay, I should live in a fancy beach place. And there was one that was sort of like right down in a neighborhood that was very among a lot of people moving around all the time and sort of famous for being kind of a party scene and a, and a lot of um, poor behavior, right? In okay. fact, while I was looking at the apartment, somebody kind of gouged the hood on my fancy car, right? While it was parked outside. And then I was looking at another place that was in a security building on a high floor that was very, you know, different experience. And I was thinking, oh, you know, I kind of like the excitement of the place. And my, uh, my uh, friend said, and this is what I think you're pointing to, reminded me, hey, aren't you a little bit skittish around like lots of people and lots of potential violence and that sort of thing? Yeah. And wouldn't you be more comfortable in this fancy security building where you don't have to worry about what was that noise and who's breaking what glass? And I, I couldn't see it, but until somebody reflected it, I said, oh, of course, right? Why would I live in a place, choose to live in a place that's going to trigger some trauma responses? Right. So that's, am I picking up what you're laying down? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That your, your body has clocked that chaos, a lot of sensory input, and the potential for danger feels very unsafe for you. Um, but your mind hasn't clocked it um, because your mind set that aside because it was too hard to deal with. Um, our minds are very powerful. You know, for small children experiencing trauma dissociation um, and putting memories away where they don't ever get a chance to see them is one of the primary protective things that they do. 
Um, but yeah, so if you are uh, an executive coach, you work with professionals, you normally work with female entrepreneurs who are trying to build their own business, or um, you're working with a client on relationships, when trauma comes up, we, we just want coaches to be aware, to be able to go, okay, I think I see some trauma stuff going on here. I think I see some beliefs that have risen out of trauma. Because like I said, children don't come out of the womb hating themselves. Children don't come out of the womb thinking that they're stupid. That's a taught belief um, and typically taught by a primary caregiver. Let's, the, the, I know we're like coming, the time is flying by and I want to, uh, I want us to just touch on um, marginalized communities uh, and how, I don't know, how this uh, impacts them, the resources they maybe don't have. I'm kind of leaving it open, but what can you share uh, that maybe those communities or people that maybe aren't in those communities but have access to those communities need to know or how we can support them? Yeah. Yeah. Sweetheart, will you start off by defining what marginalized populations are? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what we see as, you know, a marginalized population, you know, is like a community or a group that we have pushed to the side. It's like what you see in the book, you know, you got your your mainstream and then you've got your margins on the side and what's on the margins on the side is things that you need to edit or you need to correct and it's not good enough or you need to get rid of it sort of thing and that's where marginalized you know comes from you know they're pushed to the sides of the stream and they're seen as important or not worthy you know almost to the point where we just don't want to see them and we do push them completely out sort of thing you know so yeah there's there's lots and lots of marginalized populations due to race or disabilities mental health if you're homeless you know race you know your sexuality and things like that there's huge 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 marginalized people out there yeah yeah and and you're right alex for the majority of people who are in a marginalized community um, population, they have no power. And they're consciously kept in a position that has no power. We seek to take their power away because we don't want them here in the mainstream mucking with our stuff, right? We don't want them to have any power. We don't want them to, we think that if we give power to populations that are marginalized, it means we will have less. It's a scarcity belief. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we advocate so heavily for, at the very least, coaching programs having at least a class in how do you work with marginalized populations um, through all of this work um, with the racial inequality that's risen since um, George Floyd's death. Um, we came together as an, as an organization and held a couple of town halls with our coaches of color um, serving as panel members. And those of us who um, have privilege because of the color of our skin, asking questions. And it was heartbreaking to hear how these coaches of ours live in fear on a day-to-day -day basis. And especially the coaches who had children and who had male children. And that fear of every time they leave my presence, 
what's going to happen to them. And I can't control that, right? As a mom of that boy, I can't control that. Um, it's intensely frightening and it changes the way I see the world around me. That's traumatic for me as the mother um, of a male child of color as well as a female child of color. So I think one of the first steps is we have to be become aware that people who are in marginalized populations are experiencing trauma. That's a moral injury to say, you belong over here. You don't belong over here. Um, out of sight, out of mind, right? So I think we need to wake up to understanding that that is trauma for them and that they need both people who will stand up and say, yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. It's not okay. You know, um, I have privilege because of the color of my skin and I can stand up and say, not happening. Um, I also, both Sarah and I, exist in some marginalized populations. Um, you know, we are lesbian women married to same-sex partners. Um, so we get the opportunity to work from within and from without. And for us right now, it's all about making people aware that being in a marginalized population is trauma and being able to use what power we do have to stand up and say, nope. Not happening on my, on my watch. This, this may be an impossible question to answer, but do you consider women a marginalized population? I suppose it depends on the culture or the... It does. It depends on the culture. It depends upon um, when they were raised. It depends upon their ethnicity. It depends upon um, their upbringing. You know, there are still portions of the population where women are seen as the subservient, they should be submissive, um, not speak until spoken to. Um, so it, I think it does depend. Um, I think we still see, you know, when we talk about things like the pay gap, um, I think we do still see some marginalization of women in the community. Thanks for that. I know it was kind of an impossible question, but really, really important. Yes, absolutely. What I think this the what do we want people to know that you haven't been asked? What are maybe there's something I always think about this when I'm when I'm a guest on people's podcast. There's questions that I want to answer that people don't ask me. Is there something that you like? It's like God. I want to be wanting to talk about this. I've been wanting to share this, and I am. You know, you haven't had the opportunity. Some yeah. people need to know. Yeah. What I want people to understand is that accessing lived experience is one of the most powerful ways you can equip yourself. So, you know, lived experience is that you have existed in that population. Um, so my trips in and, out, in and out of psychiatric hospitals and, you know, major depression, I have lived experience as someone with mental illness. Um, so if I have a colleague who has a client who has some mental illness, come talk to me. Ask me, what's it like to be part of that marginalized population? What's it like, um, you know, if I have a colleague who has a client um, who is a lesbian woman considering proposing to her fiance, 
ask some questions, you know, even ask your client. It's okay to admit to your client, you know what, I haven't been in that situation. What does that feel like? What is that like for you? It's that beautiful attunement piece, right? Attunement is that two-person kinesthetic experience. So it's like, come over here, sit down next to me. You know, we work with our clients virtually. So it's like inviting them to come around to your side of the screen and say, paint me a picture. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What has brought you to this moment? What are your fears? What are your hesitations? So being willing to step into those places if you don't have lived experience or being willing to access lived experience. So, you know, we recognize that not every coach training organization wants to do a 23-week course on, you know, coaching a particular marginalized population. But you could bring someone in, you could bring in a panel, someone who's disabled, someone who's mentally ill, someone who comes from the LBTQ community, um, someone of color, and have a panel discussion about what it's like to be part of a marginalized population so that the coaches who are going out there in the world have had a chance to experience interactions and encourage them to continue to get those interactions. That lived experience is so powerful um, for a coach to have as they go out and do this work. Anything to add, Sarah? No, 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 not really. I think Bobby just says it absolutely beautifully, sort of thing, you know. And, you know, and we just want coaches to be, you know, just to have the confidence, you know, and not be scared of trauma because trauma is everywhere. And with COVID 19, it literally is everywhere now, you know. So, yeah, don't be scared of it, you know. It doesn't have to be, you know, you can still work with it you know, and not have to be a therapist to be able to work with it. Yeah, know when to refer out. But yeah, have have the hard conversations, have the messy conversations, have the awkward conversations. Um, Because truly, in those conversations, our experiences, that's where the most powerful breakthroughs come. When we're willing to get into the mud, into the trenches, and talk with our clients about those hard things, that's where the transformations happen. That's a perfect note for us to end on today. Thank you so much for being with us. I want to remind people, if you like to type thetraumarecoverycoach.com, that's thetraumarecoverycoach.com. There's a course starting in August. Uh, We're speaking in July of 2020, and there's a course starting soon. I guess every February and every August, you start a new program for coaches uh, to get more education, to get uh, certified, and and to learn more about working with trauma uh, in our clients. You can also check out I-A-O-T-R-C. That's I-A-O-T-R-C.com. I just I really want to thank you, Bobby and Sarah Parrish, for being with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your, your journey. But especially, I want to acknowledge what it takes to create something from scratch. You know, two, uh, three years ago, I guess, you started this um, this endeavor and it's so important for our industry and I thank you for being out on the cutting edge and the courage that it takes to sort of answer the same question a million times to a million different people. Yeah, Um, thank you. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Alex. 
Thank you so much for being with us. I want to remind you all that you can find out more about Alex Terranova than you ever cared to know by going to thedreammason.com. Also, get a copy of his book, Fictional Authenticity, or simply take the Authenticity Audit, also available at thedreammason.com. Anything else you want to plug, promote, or tell me? Christopher, have you taken the Authenticity Audit? Clearly, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been very bit <coughs> I don't I don't feel I need to um I would love to do that Alex thank you is that a little bit of a challenge for next week uh yeah you know why not let's see we could that would be fun Ten two minutes on that um no thanks thanks for everything uh Bobby and Sarah thanks for being here with us great thank you. I'm gonna go check out and find out about that course I'm gonna find out about that all right. I thank you all. That's another edition of the coaching show behind us. Thank you very much. Uh, each week we bring you out on the cutting edge of coaching or doing something interesting or just stuff you need to know about right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available. I thank you for listening, our dear listener, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the coaching show. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>